Welcome once again to Palm Sunday here at New Life. And before we dive into our teaching this morning, I just want to say we have made it. We have made it down to the last day of our senior pastor Paul's sabbatical, and I want to thank you all for praying for him, for our leadership in his absence. Those prayers have made a huge difference. I know he is feeling rested and rejuvenated, and I'm going to be excited to see him in the office tomorrow morning, and hope you're all excited to have him back with us here next Sunday morning. And I also want to say a word of thanks to so many of you who have been praying for him and for the rest of our leadership team during these three months, and to so many of you who just kind of quietly came and and tapped me on the shoulder over these last 12, 13 weeks and said, hey, is there something I can do to, to help? So thank you for being that kind of people that will just step in and do that kind of thing, because that has just meant the world to me during these, these months. So I'd like to read for us this morning the story of Palm Sunday from the Gospel of Luke. It's found in Luke chapter 19. If you have your Bibles with you in print format or on your phone or your tablet, um, feel free to pop that out because we're going to be camped out in this story and jumping back and forth between the verses. If you're here with us this morning and you haven't got a Bible with you or just the Bible is a brand new sort of a thing, I'd uh, welcome you to grab one of these blue ones from the back shelf today. So this is the story of Jesus' triumphal entry from Luke chapter 19 beginning at verse 28. And I really wish I'd have remembered my large print Bible this morning at home. After telling this story, Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. And he came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. He sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one's ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. As he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him, When he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings on the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. Jesus replied, If they kept quiet the stones along the road would burst into cheers. So the story here this morning for Palm Sunday is, of course, the story of Jesus' triumphal entry. And that conjures up all sorts of things for us. You know, we call it Palm Sunday because of the palm branches that people spread in front of Jesus on his way into Jerusalem. Uh, But Luke's account here doesn't actually mention palm branches at all. Matthew's gospel calls them branches cut from trees, which is 
a great place to find your branches. Mark's gospel calls them leafy branches, so we know they had leaves. It's actually only John's gospel that calls them palm branches. And I throw that out there just to say that's a little bit of Bible study 101. There's different details highlighted by the four different gospel authors for different purposes. And if we can learn to understand those purposes, we understand some of the the nuances that we can unlock that each of the authors wants us to grasp. And we're not going to go into all of that today. I just want to set your minds at ease about why there's sometimes these little differences between the Gospels. It's for a purpose, and it's, it's nothing for us to worry about. And I'm just going to throw this in here. If that kind of thing interests you, um, we're going to be starting after Easter on Thursday evenings, a book study that we're going to do around an idea of understanding Scripture, some tools we can put in your own personal toolkit to help you pick this up and get the most out of it in your own reading. So I encourage you to sign up for that if you're interested. Hey, with all that preamble out of the way, let's look at the setting of our story. As we get to Luke 19, we're getting towards the end of Jesus' journey towards Jerusalem that began all the way back in Luke chapter 9. And we've been journeying through the book of Luke now off and on for the better part of two years. So we've heard and learned lots about what's taken place on Jesus' journey. We've heard about the miracles, the healings. We've heard Jesus' parables. And we got to see Jesus interact with his disciples a lot. So there's lots of backstory that you can go back to to check out. If you're so inclined, all of our Sunday services are on our YouTube channel for you to skim through. Or if you're more of a podcast person, you can find us on iTunes and Spotify. And I promise that is the last of my New Life commercials for today. So we find Jesus here ending the end of, nearing the end of his journey. And here's a picture of what this journey looked like. It began all the way at the top of the map there, that big red dot at the top by the Sea of Galilee. And we had a video from Paul a couple of months ago in his travels. He was standing on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, which was neat to see. And this journey that Jesus was on, if you could do it without any detours at all, which he was not able to do, it's 166 kilometers from Capernaum at the top of the Sea of Galilee, that big red dot at the top of the map, down to Bethany and Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, the red dot at the bottom of the map. So Jesus had a long way on foot to go. So for our reference, so we can kind of make sense of this distance here, it's almost the exact distance from Collingwood to Tobermory up at the top of the Bruce Peninsula. It's 35 hours of walking time if you could manage to maintain a steady pace of 4.8 kilometers per hour, which is quite unlikely for Jesus because he had sand, he had river crossings and lots of elevation to navigate. Um, Imagine trying to walk up Mountain Road at a foot pace of almost five kilometers an hour and you get the the picture of some of the terrain. So it's quite a journey that Jesus has been on in his sandals, by the way. And we find him in Luke 19 all the way down at the second big red dot on our map. He's just so, so close to Jerusalem at this point. It's a little over a kilometer and a half away where we pick up the story here. 
This would be like me walking from, say, the Tim Hortons on Poplar Side Road down here on, down here on Dario Street and stopping at the Dairy Queen if I were to pick two landmarks that have no personal significance to me whatsoever. I know exactly how long it takes to do that walk, by the way. But Jesus is just so close to his destination. And what does he do? Verses 29 and 30 here again. And he came out of the towns of Bethphage and Bethany and the Mount of Olives, and he sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you'll see a young donkey tied there with no one, that no one's ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. So after this whole long journey over all this terrain on foot, 166 kilometers in his sandals, after all of that, Jesus sends two disciples into Jerusalem, and he says, go pick me up a ride. Bring back a donkey. He's got a kilometer and a half to go downhill from the Mount of Olives, and he asks for a ride. I don't know about you, but I don't buy the notion that Jesus needed the ride. Something else is going on here. And just like our four gospel authors have their purposes for highlighting different nuances of the story, Jesus has a purpose for having these two disciples bring him back a donkey. So I want to go back into the Old Testament for a moment. And in the Old Testament, we find the books of the prophets. The prophets of Israel in the Old Testament, they had two functions, to deliver corrective instruction from God to God's people and to look ahead to the time when God would deliver a final rescue of Israel and for the rest of us in the person of an expected Messiah, a leader. So here's writing about this anticipated Messiah from the prophet Zechariah. This is from chapter 9. He says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. And there's Jesus' purpose. When he goes down into Jerusalem, he wants to make a statement. And this would be making a statement to a lot of people because this is the time of the Passover, and that is a big deal in ancient Israel, and it's still a big deal for our Jewish neighbors and friends today. So there's about six times the normal number of people crammed into Jerusalem for the Passover. And that would be a little like filling Collingwood up to about 132,000 people, or my, my three-bedroom townhouse up to 18 people. That's a lot of people compacted together, and they're there to, to celebrate. So you can imagine what that might have looked like. Sort of like the Collingwood Elvis Festival taken to a whole other level for those of you that remember what downtown was like. So after the disciples bring this colt back and Jesus begins to ride down in the direction of Jerusalem, a couple of interesting things happen. And it's important for us to be clear on who does these two interesting things. So if we look again at verses 36 and 37, we see this. As he rode along, the crowds spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. 
When he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. So this is not just a crowd of random people spreading out their cloaks and their palm branches in front of Jesus. And this is not the Passover crowd that's waiting in Jerusalem. This is a whole crowd of Jesus' followers. And they're acting with a purpose too. If we go back to the Old Testament again, we can look at some more prophecy from 2 Kings chapter 9. The prophet Elisha gathers some other prophets and sets about to anoint a new king for Israel. And that time, God worked through prophets to appoint what kings would rule over his people. And in this case, they're going to anoint a fellow named Jehu. Elisha tells Jehu this, and then Jehu has the unenviable task of going to his army buddies and conveying this message to them. And he basically, they say, you know, what did the crazy old man say to you? They don't take Elisha all that seriously. So imagine being in that kind of a situation and having to turn to your friends and say, well, the, the, the prophet guy, he told me that God wants me to be not just the king, but, but your king. God wants me to be your king. But that's what happens. And then here's how Jehu's comrades respond. You're hiding something, they said. Tell us. So Jehu told them. He said to me, this is what the Lord says. I have anointed you to be king over Israel. And then check this out. Then they quickly spread out their cloaks on the bare steps and blew the ram's horn, shouting, Jehu is king. So what we've got going on here with the spreading of these cloaks out in front of Jesus as he rides is a culturally and prophetically relevant statement that this is a king that is coming, a Messiah, a leader, the savior of the people. And this crowd, they back their actions up with words. Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord, they say. Peace in heaven and glory in highest heaven. And right here, they do the kind of radical thing that often gets Jesus and his followers in trouble with the religious leaders of the time. What they've done is they've taken a traditional Passover greeting and they've gone and tinkered with it. That's big taboo. The traditional Passover greeting, which is reflected in Psalm 118, is bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Bless the one. And now here's Jesus' followers with all of this imagery that points to him being a king and a Messiah, just really saying the quiet part out loud. Bless the king who comes in the name of of the Lord. I want to pause here in this story for a moment and ask you a couple of questions. I'm assuming you're here this morning because you're a follower of Jesus or because you have a level of curiosity about Jesus. And we're glad that all of you are here, no matter where you find yourselves on that spectrum of experience. 
But my first question is for those of you that identify yourselves as Jesus followers. What does it mean for you personally that Jesus comes to be the king and leader? Does he occupy that kind of a position in your life? My second question is for those of you who are here or who are maybe watching online at home this morning, just checking this out today because you have a curiosity about Jesus. What would it mean for you to have a savior figure to turn to? You know, what if you could take all your questioning and struggling about, you know, spiritual life sort of things to a place where all of that could be reconciled with God. What would that mean to you? We printed sheets out with these questions for you today, and if you didn't grab one on the way in, I encourage you to pick one up on the way out. I would love for us all to wrestle with these questions this week as we head towards Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. If you're watching online, you can't pick up the sheet on the way out, but if you scroll down to the video description underneath, you'll find uh, these four questions listed there for you to interact with. The next interesting thing that I want to highlight for us is, again, just who this crowd of people is. As they lay down their cloaks and their palm branches and they take this Passover greeting and they use it to announce Jesus as king... I just want to be super clear that this is not the crowd of people in Jerusalem. This is not this, like, 132,000 people imagined crammed into Collingwood. It's not that, that crowd down in Jerusalem for the Passover. It is a whole crowd of Jesus' followers. Verse 37, when he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. So all of this experience that Jesus' followers have had with them, it turns into praise. They were shouting and they were singing and they were praising God for all these wonderful miracles that they had been witness to. They're sharing their Jesus experience. You know, they're not just going about quoting some of these Old Testament prophecies that identified Jesus as Messiah, Savior, and King. They're being super vocal about their actual personal experience with him. And friends, I'm going to plant my flag on a couple of hills here. The first is this. I don't think there's any more powerful way to communicate with others about Jesus than by telling your own Jesus story. Being able to talk about Scripture, that's a valuable skill. And being able to explain God's plan of salvation to others, that's a valuable skill. But I really, really believe that there's no better way for us to communicate about God's heart for people than by sharing our own stories about what Jesus has done here. And here's the second flag I'm going to plant. I want us to take notice of the scope 
of who's doing this storytelling and shouts and songs. It's not just Jesus' inner circles. You know, it's not the 12 disciples that we so often read about in the Gospels. It's not the leaders. It's a crowd of Jesus' followers. What I take from that is that the job of communicating the Jesus story is not just up to pastors and other church leaders. So in our context, it can't be just up to Paul and myself and our church board and our staff and our volunteer leaders. It has to be the whole crowd of new life, the whole crowd of Jesus followers that worship together here. Each one of you sitting in this room, and each one of you sitting in your living room, your rec room, watching online this morning, each one of you knows some people that our church leadership doesn't. You may have some family that aren't Jesus followers. You likely have some co-workers or classmates or friends or acquaintances that aren't Jesus followers. And maybe... Maybe they might be curious enough to accept an invitation to come and experience Jesus for the first time in a space like this with all of us gathered on a Sunday. But I bet, I bet that telling your own Jesus story to them is going to be a way more effective way to introduce them to this Messiah and Savior that we know. So here's my second set of questions for you. For those of you that identify yourselves as Jesus followers, when was the last time you shared the story of what Jesus has done in your own life with someone? I'll be honest, I had to think about my own answer to that question this week. When was the last time you shared that? For those of you who are here or watching that are curious about Jesus and spiritual things, what's one thing you wish a Jesus follower would say to you? And if you're bold enough, um, I would love to hear your answer to that question. So I'd, I'd actually really like if you would email your answer to that question you curious folk, Steve at newlifecollingwood.com, what's one thing you wish a Jesus follower, a Christian, would tell you about their Jesus experience? Well, a couple more points as we head into our home stretch here. The first comes from what we read in verse 39. This is right after Jesus' followers have taken that Passover greeting and they've tinkered with it to identify Jesus as a king sent by God. And it reads like this. Some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. So here we find at least a few of Jesus' opponents mixed into this crowd of his followers. And you can read throughout the four Gospels that this happened a lot. It seems like every time Jesus turned around, there were these Pharisees, the religious leaders of his time, 
and they opposed him, they were just waiting to pounce. And, and we can imagine how this goes. Did anybody watch the Juno Awards a couple of weekends ago? Okay, I'm going to explain this story then so it makes sense. At the Juno Awards two weeks ago, there was a person who had embedded herself in the crowd because she had a point that she wanted to make. She, she looked like one of the people who was there just to appreciate and celebrate Canadian music and watch these awards handed out to the top singers and songwriters and producers and, and all of that good stuff. So she picked her moment, she bursts up onto the stage in what state I am not going to tell you, um, and interrupts Avril Lavigne as she's speaking. So this young lady had an agenda, and she made herself a part of the crowd in Halifax. She saw her moment, she inserts herself into what's going on, and she tries to make her point. And like Jesus with the Pharisees, she did not meet a receptive audience. Uh, the, the television censors were not fast enough to bleep out Avril Lavigne's response to this young woman. But her message was not well received and appreciated. I think something we need to take from this part of the story is this. That when we tell our Jesus story to others when we try our best to introduce others to our Messiah, our Savior, we're going to get a mixed bag of responses. Jesus got a mixed bag of responses. So did his disciples. And Jesus warned the disciples that that was going to be the case. He told them as he was sending them out that some people would not welcome them and what they had to say. Some would be just flat-out hostile. And some would turn Jesus' disciples over to the courts, and these guys would end up being flogged with whips. And you can check out Matthew chapter 10 for the rest of Jesus' speech before he sends the disciples off to go and share their Jesus story. But Jesus sends them anyway. He sends them along anyway. Friends, it's, I think it's easy for us to share our Jesus stories inside the walls of this building here and with the people in our New Life family. And please hear me really clearly here. Doing that kind of thing, that is important because we can learn from one another and build one another up. Each one of you has had a different Jesus experience than the person who's sitting next to you. You have something to teach. I think that's the beauty of community life centered around Jesus here. But it's a harder thing by far to go out and tell your Jesus story to others. Some people are going to be disinterested some might actually be hostile. I think it's super unlikely that here in Canada any of us are going to be flogged with whips and we can thank God for the blessing of living in a place where that's the case because this is not true everywhere. 
But I think in that mixed bag, we're also going to find people who will be interested. You will find some people who are genuinely curious about your Jesus story and who are going to latch onto that as an introduction to a Savior. Finally, here's Jesus' response to the Pharisees, his opponents, in verse 40. If they keep quiet, his followers, if they keep quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. Jesus is quoting scripture here when he's answering the Pharisees because that's their language. So he answers them in the language that they understand. And here Jesus uses a phrase from Habakkuk chapter 2. And, and that chapter, if you want to read it, it's all about carrying the correct message from God to those people that God intends that message for. And the basic question here is, if we don't do it, who will? In the last church that I served at before I came to New Life, one of the pastors put a row of stones on the stage and he painted this phrase on them. If you don't praise him, we will. I think he was trying to encourage people into more lively Sunday morning worship, but it's a really, really good point. If we don't, as the crowd of Jesus followers here at New Life, if we don't, who will? There's other ways for people to recognize God in the world. And, and Jesus is talking about stones here. And creation is one of my favorite ways to just go and soak in God's presence, to recognize the scope and the beauty of what he has created. But I'm positive that God does not mean for things like creation to do the whole job. Otherwise, why this whole story that we've been looking at today? Why would Jesus send for a donkey and his followers create this whole scene with cloaks and palm branches and provocative statements about King Jesus? Why would Jesus deliver a speech to his disciples in Matthew 10 and then send them out on a mission to tell others about their Jesus experience? knowing what was going to happen. Because we, each of us, as part of the crowd of Jesus followers in this place, are the medium through which God has chosen to share the message of the Jesus experience. Creation can't do that for us. In the Old Testament, it was the prophets that pointed the way. In the four Gospels, Jesus sends his disciples, his followers. From there forward, 
from the book of Acts, which appears right after the four Gospels, from there forward all the way to today, God chooses us, his church, to share this message. Today we're celebrating Palm Sunday. And we, we sang songs about this this morning. Jesus, this image of a king riding triumphantly down towards Jerusalem. He's a king. He's a Messiah. He's a savior. He's expected. How will we share that? Or if it's new to us today, what are we going to do with that? As a curious person, what do we want a Jesus follower to tell us about that? On Friday, we're going to gather with a number of other churches from Collingwood out at the Bear Estate to observe Good Friday. And we're going to be focused on this image of Jesus on the cross and of his life sacrificed as a means for all humanity to be reconciled to God. How will we share that part of our experience? And if you're a person who's curious about Jesus this morning, what do you want a Jesus follower to tell you about it? Next Sunday, we'll gather back here again for Easter, the resurrection of Christ. And we're going to focus on the image of a victorious Jesus who conquered death and who invites us into newness of life along with him. How are we going to share that part of our experience? Or if you're a person curious about spiritual things this morning, what do you want one of the Jesus followers in this room to say to you about it? What do you want to know? After Easter... Paul returns, and he's going to be sharing a series entitled The Jesus Way. And we're going to be looking at all sorts of topics through the lens of Jesus. Um, Things like generosity and forgiveness and thankfulness and faith and prayer. And I bet every single one of us that is here in this room this morning or those of you who are watching at home, I bet every single one of us knows at least one person who might be curious about at least one of those topics. So there really is not a better time than now to go and share your Jesus story with someone in your life and then to make a simple invitation. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for the story that we have with you. The places where you have intersected with our lives in very powerful ways. Thank you that you are king, you are leader, and that we can put our hope in you that way. For those of us who identify ourselves as your followers, we have accepted you into our lives. For those places, Jesus, where we haven't let you be in charge, we haven't let you be our king and leader, 
We ask your forgiveness for those areas. We repent of that stuff and we ask you to guide us fresh and new. Thank you for your grace in extending your forgiveness for those things. And as the crowd of Jesus followers here at New Life, we pray together that your spirit would be at work in the curious folks around us. And we trust that that's taking place even as we sit here right now. And Holy Spirit, this week, would you open our spiritual eyes, our minds, to see those around us who look like they're curious? Would you just cause our paths to cross with theirs this week, this holy week, as your story is more on the minds of people than it usually is? Give us one person, give us a hundred people to share our Jesus story with this week. And then take that by your spirit and amplify it and make it come alive and true in those we share with. Jesus, we worship you as King, as Savior, gratefully as your people. And we pray all of this in your name. Amen.